Hello. We want to thank you for joining our Living Messiah family by downloading this podcast. We hope it blesses you and enriches your life. We also want to encourage you, uh, if you can, and if your heart is so moved, to support this ministry by going on our website, livingmessiah.com, and donating to help us to put these podcasts in every nation, every place, so we can bring these messages to change lives, to help people grow in the Word of God. Once again, thank you so much for being part of our family. Shalom. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. Open our eyes and our ears as we want to sit at your feet today and learn about this serious portion about what we as priests of your kingdom should be wearing and the garments, how special they are about how your people should dress if we're a kingdom of priests. So, Father, teach us today what you want us to hear. We glorify you and praise you in your son, Yahushua's name. Amen. Yes. I have two maybe silly questions, but they're on my heart to ask. On one of the stones are, are engraved six names, and on the other stone is engraved six names on his mm-hmm. shoulder. Has, huh? On, no, no, on the shoulder. On the black, on the shoulder. On the shoulder. On the onyx. Has, has anyone done a study to say what those words might say as, you know, the names might say as, as telling a story? You know how some of the names in the, in the word of, Yahuwah, you read the names and they tell a story? Sure, it very possibly could be. Um, that we'll, we, I didn't put anything together on that, but you know, the, the word for Shechem is shoulders. And so here you had six tribes on one mountain, six on the other. Uh-huh. And here we've got six stones, or six stones, six names on one stone, six on the other of shoulders. This is exactly what was going on at Shechem. So an interesting correlation, but I bet there is. I don't know if Bob has something to share about that or not, but anyway, so uh, we wait, want wait. to... Well, I guess, I'm oh, sorry, yes, two, two quick questions. That was one. And then the other one is the, the Tiziot has, uh, Tiziot has a blue strand, but there's a specific name in the, in the Hebrew for the blue is that the same blue being used for the breastplate to tie it together? So the name that's been used for the blue is Tehelet? That one, yeah. Yeah. And so I'd have to, you know, I didn't look to see if it was the same Hebrew name. Uh, I didn't okay. pay attention to look for that, but it is the word Tehelet. So, okay. Um, I was just too silly question. I wanted to, it was on maybe, my heart maybe to Maybe someone will look Thank it up you. and we'll find out uh, while we're doing the study. We've got lots of people that have the Hebrew text in front of them, so we can mind that out here in a minute. Okay, so talk about today, children, youth, art. We're going to talk about priestly garment, believe it or not. Our heavenly calling, the restoration of the priestly nation. And we're going to start the Torah portion first. So, in verse 4 of, I believe, 28, the chapter, but I believe it was 28. Yeah, it has to be because we started in chapter 20. All right, 28.4 says, These are the garments which they shall make, a piece of and a robe and a tunic of checkered. The word checkered is tashbet in Hebrew, but in Greek, it's fringed. A work of fringed work. And a and they shall make a garments your brother that he may preach to me so you might as well say they shall make holy garments for the kingdom of priests and all of us that may minister as priests to me because that's remember we several we have examples in the Tanakh in the Torah we have examples in the New Testament that you all are a kingdom of priests and so you're going to be functioning in that capacity. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to just show up any old way in a dress if I'm going to be 
functioning a certain way. I mean, it'd be like somebody going to graduation and, and uh, wearing a swimsuit instead of the cap and gown. Not what everyone else is wearing that's graduating. Anyway, so we're going to talk about that. So the chest piece and the shoulder strap and the full-length robe and tasseled tunic and turban. This is from the, the, the Septuagint. The Septuagint calls it tasseled tunic and turban and sash. Very interesting. So please jump in. Uh, these are your ornaments, O priestly nation. These are your ornaments, right? Verse 14. You shall make two tassels from pure gold intermingled with flowers, a work of braiding, and you shall place the braided tassels on the small shields of the shoulder straps on the front sides. And I'm probably reading from the Septuagint. I know, sorry I didn't put that there. But, uh, um, so it's very interesting that the word tassels coming up, and Rafi will probably like this, uh, this uh, braided or blooming the zitziot is, is like a blooming flower, right? Very interesting. So that, that thought is there. And jump in if you feel led to jump in at any point, because we're going to, uh, here in a few slides, we're going to jump to the prophet and the New Testament portion, or New Testament and then prophet last. Okay. Verse 15. You shall make an oracle of judgments. Reuter, according to the shape of the shoulder strap, you shall make it from gold and blue and purple, twisted scarlet, twisted linen. You shall make it. So what does all that kind of look like? So I'm going to give you an example here. So I would like if Ward would please. Ward shared something with me some weeks back about the stones that are in this breast piece. And you need to hear what I say if you'll jump in. And it has to do with these stones. They just found out that these stones that are in this breast piece have the ability to do something in pure light that other stones, rubies and other things, do not. Lord, go ahead. And so one of the things he'll probably touch on is if, if every one of these stones do something spectacular in pure light, before man knew that that would happen, obviously a creator had to know that that's So when he walked in front of the pure light, that pure light caused something to happen in these stones that wouldn't have happened in others. Go ahead, Ward. So the pure light you're referring to is a polarized light. So what, they've, what the gem industry has found that is that if you put these gemstones under polarized light, which is a kind of uniform light, the planes of, of uh, vibration are all equal throughout the light field, that these gemstones are internally double refractive so that they give off all kinds of really cool colors. They just, they just glow with all kinds of wonderful colors. Like kaleidoscope of amazing yeah, colors. It's all these colors. And not all gemstones are like that. For instance, diamond is singly refractive and it doesn't do anything so when you put it in polarized light it's just black it doesn't it doesn't put any light out so you can google this there's all kinds of images that you can you can you can see of this and so it's it's a kind of thing where at the time it would have been difficult to to figure this out out because source of polarized light <laughs> to, to 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 shine on the Things so, but but they just happen to have all these. It's just stones. coincidental that yeah, somebody just, figured just out. Hey, you know what? I'll just throw these twelve in there. Oh, they all twelve will do this in polarized light. Yeah, right. Yep. It was orchestrated by a designer who knew about the stones. People knew about everything, and he designed. So, can you imagine this kaleidoscope of colors beaming out of his breastplate? When he came into the presence of the Almighty, boom, just lit up the whole room with some amazing, amazing colors. That would be awesome to see. Okay. Thank you, Ward. On the one shoulder, you've got Gad, Asher, Ishakar, Zebulun, Yosef, and Benjamin. On the other, it's Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, and Naphtali. 
Of course, the head's in the middle, and this would be like the two mountains, uh, Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. You got one, six on one, six on the other, very similar scenario going on there. Now, think of it. If he picked the stones for a purpose, was it just random to have these on one? Sh- I mean, he picked the, the sons in this order on one shoulder and the other shoulder for a purpose. All purposeful, not by just coincidence. He didn't, he didn't you know, throw dice. No, he, he knew what was going on here because he knew all the way from beginning to end what his goal and purpose was. Verse 22, And you shall make on the oracle plated tassels, chain work of pure gold, and you shall place in the oracle of judgment the disclosure and the truth. This is the umum and the thumum. I will tell you when I looked up the actual definition in Hebrew and Greek, this is what I got out of it. That it means revelation and truth. Revelation and truth. Pretty amazing, isn't it? That they're going to seek the Almighty's decision and they're going to revelation and truth to seek it. Hmm. Interesting. And you shall make on the hem of the undergarment below little pomegranates. Here we go again, Ralphie, the flowering pomegranate tree from blue and purple and spun scarlet and twisted linen upon the hem of the undergarment around beside a little golden pomegranate, a bell and a blossom on the hem and the undergarment around. So this is very decorative. Just coincidental, right? Coincidental. Did you know that uh, as they've been excavating over in, real close to the steps going up on the southern wall, they discovered down deep, 40 feet down, you already know, you've already, they dis- what'd they discover? A pomegranate bell. Imagine that. Huh. Boy, I bet that was, uh, I bet whoever grabbed that and picked that up must have thought, man, I am holding one of the priests of Israel's bell from their garment. This is really amazing. Yes. I've heard it said that Yahushua's uh, diaper was the undergarment of the priests, that they had taken a torn undergarment? Is there I don't truth to the story? But I've never could you that. imagine if it were? I mean, the, the amazing colors and stuff of it. Yep. That would be amazing. Again, jump in if you are so led. Yes, Bob, go ahead. A, a hand up here. The um, pomegranates and the bells... Uh, there's, I think, 72 of each, and they're perfectly spaced, and they're on the hem because the pomegranates represent the fruit of God's Spirit, and the bells represent the gifts of God's Spirit. And the high priest, he didn't wear them on his head as they were part of his walk. So on the hem of our garments, we were to have the fruits of God's Spirit and the gifts of God's Spirit, because we need to walk in balance. So you said there's 72 of one and 72 number is? 144, 12, 144, really? Just a coincidental number, right? Hmm. <laughs> Very interesting. And if you have something to say about the oil, go ahead, because I didn't cover that in. No? Okay. Okay. Someone else? Yes, go ahead, Bobby. Okay, as far as going back to the stones and the diamond, and the diamond um, basically being like a dark... I can't remember, and I tried to look it up. Is it Gad or Dan that is not mentioned in Revelation? Because when I came back and looked at Revelation, even though in Exodus they mentioned all those stones, Mm. in Revelation it's not mentioning the diamond. That's an interesting uh, take on that. I uh, didn't notice that. Huh. Very interesting uh, observation. Wow. Something to, for someone to mine out. Okay. Verse 23. 
It says, near to yourself, Aharon, your brother, and his son with him. From where? Where does he bring them from? Where is he going to bring these priests from? Remember, this is before the golden calf thing, right? So what, what, where are they supposed to come from? All of you folks, the sons of Israel. Of course, the golden calf messed that up, and they ended up having to come from the Levites only, uh, from Le- Levi, the tribe of Levi. But he's originally saying here, bring them from the sons of Israel. They're going to be the kingdom of priests for me. The word near here is the word karav, which appears in Ezekiel 37, 15. And it says, The word of Yahweh came to me again, saying, And you, son of man, take for yourself one stick and write on it for Yehuda and for the sons of Israel, his companions. Then take another stick and write on it for Yosef, the stick of Ephraim, and all the house of Israel, his companions. And of course, house of Israel is a phrase of the northern kingdom. And then Karav joined them together, one to another, one stick that they may become one in your hand. Because no longer will they be two nations and no longer will they be divided into two peoples. God's goal from the beginning was to have one nation, one people that would be a holy priesthood that would go out and serve and be an example of him unto the world. And God is going to restore that so that we can become that to the nations as he promised and prophesied would happen. And I will place them and multiply them and I will set my sanctuary in their midst just for a short time. Forever. My dwelling place also will be with them because he wants to do what? Dwell with us. I will be their Elohim, they will be my people, and the nations will know that I am Yahweh who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forever. And the purpose of that sanctuary being there is for you guys to put on your holy garments that we're reading about today so that you can be that kingdom of priests to the nations because it's very clear, it's very clear in the prophets that you guys are going to be teaching the nations the difference between clean and holy and profane. Uh, Clean and unclean, holy and profane. Yes. So just a side note in terms of the taking of the Levites. They were a replacement for the firstborns yes. out of Israel. It wasn't that he was taking all of the Israel. Correct. It was taking the firstborns. That's so, right. And so it also ties into the picture of their firstborns of the Egyptians, that his firstborn is the nation that he formed came out. And so that it ties into the firstborn, which has a lot of prophetic pictures there. So what you're saying is the firstborn are going to be the priests. Hmm. See, I remember a passage that says that Ephraim is my firstborn. Hmm. Interesting. Oh, good old, oh, good old Joshua, oh, Yahushua, bringing the people into the land. What an amazing sight. I'm going to read you a couple of passages. Isaiah 61.6, But you will be called the priests of Yahuwah. You will be spoken of as ministers of of our Elohim. Exodus 19.6 And you all shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Revelation 1.6 And he has made us to be a kingdom of priests to his Elohim and Father, referring to Yahushua, to be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So who born? Am I comment is, let the hunt begin to restore the firstborn, the priests of Elohim. Some work has to be done, though. Some work has to be done to restore those priests into their roles, those firstborn folks, those Ephraimites. So let's look at our New Testament portion. First, do you have anything to share out of the Torah? Okay, go ahead. 
you have 28-1 listed up there. Yes. Not by coincidence also is that the two verses that preceded 28-1, which is 27-20 and 27-21, speaks of you shall charge the sons of Israel that they might bring you clear oil, <laughs> beaten olives, for light to make up lamp burn continually in the tent of meeting outside the veil, which is before the testimony. Aaron and his son shall keep it in order from evening to morning before the Lord. It shall be a perpetual statute throughout the generations for the sons of Israel. So you have the, the tabernacle and the priesthood tied together directly. We didn't start with 28.1. It had the perpetual lighting and the being of the clear oil. So when you look at the word for priesthood, you could say it's the denotes the priestly service, or it could be the body of priests. So when you look at second or first Peter two five, you also as a living stone are being built upon built up a spiritual house, a holy <laughs> priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Messiah Yeshua. And that word you is plural. It's another place I found the plural. It's you all. It's you as a priesthood. So yes. we are a priesthood together. And Amen. it's our daily tending of the lights, bringing pure oil, the clean oil, and cutting of the wicks so that our light can shine for others to see. So if, if and I thank you for reminding me, I, was, I had written here to speak about that in order, the oil... Uh, and, and for the lighting comes before the garment. Right, right before. Yeah. Without the tabernacle, there's no need for a priesthood. Without the priesthood, there's really no need for the tabernacle. Yeah. You need this to work together to trim the wicks, to burn the light, to bring so, the So the oil and the lighting is likened to the spirit and the truth. So, and these ornaments, we've talked about this in the weeks past, about how he talked about the nation, that they had, they had, they had got their ornaments, but then they had defiled everything, the ornaments, through their harlotry. And he tells them in some of the prophets, take those ornaments off. Get them off because you're walking in unrighteousness. You're not walking holy. Get rid of those ornaments. How sad to be wearing the ornaments, the priestly ornaments, and be defiling yourself and those things that are on you that are set apart for a holy purpose. Not good. Yes. <laughs> I just wanted to say that um, so the lighting of the lamp and that what Bob just said about the um, the burning of the oil and the lighting of the lamp and connected to the priesthood and then I was thinking about the stones the living stones that when pure light shines on them they they have these amazing colors <laughs> and how um, they're all so unique and different so that each of these unique stones glows and it's I don't know how they glow. I haven't seen it, but glows in its unique way. So living stones has a whole new meaning. What would it look like for all of those stones, all of the, let's say each stone is, is projecting 12 brilliant colors and it's hitting gold, which is an extremely highly reflective material. It must have been unbelievable to have all of that being reflected in there with all of these colors brilliant going forth, with all the gold around, it must have been really something. They didn't have shades back then. <laughs> Ward. Just to be clear, I didn't mention this, but they did have one source of pure light. That was the Holy of Holies. Yes. So the curtains probably were somewhat translucent, which meant some of that light would have come out. So as the priest was approaching the stones would start to light up. Wow. And then when he went in, they would have just taken off. They would have, you know. So let me ask you a question. Based on what you just said, this is what I, this hit my, my spirit is, because what we talked about last week, the week before, is what's inside that ark. He says, I will be known between the cherubim above this, the stones. I will be known here. So as we approach the Almighty with a, uh, as he says, a, a, a contrite, uh, humble spirit and a, a contrite heart. If I approach him that way and I'm seeking to know him, seeking his word, this is a picture of what's happening for us as we approach him, as we approach that place to know him. 
we're being illuminated by his spirit and his word as we're approaching to get to know him. So we should expect some amazing things to happen if we have the right heart and attitude because in the first century, they didn't have the right heart. The heart wasn't there in the right way. Hand up back here. I should say in the first century referring to the, the Pharisees. Can you imagine what the new Jerusalem would look like? Say again? The new Jerusalem. Oh, you imagine man. what that would look yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, Ward pointed that out when he shared this because all of these stones are is what's made up of the whole foundation and everything. Could you imagine when that light comes into that? What that what's going to be like? What's what's going to happen? And it's going to be unreal. I mean, yes. I'm reminded of Moshe when he was in the presence of the Most High and he came down from the mountain. He was reflective of his glory and therefore he had to yes. put a veil over his yes. face. Yes, wow. So, with this thought and idea of you're the priest that should be wearing the garment, should be, you're seeking the Almighty, let's see what our New Testament portion, our prophet portion has to say about that. So what are you? Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1 says, Therefore, my set-apart brothers, my kadosh holy brothers, you are partakers. What are you? You're partakers. What is partakers? So, as Moen writes, the emphasis is about being a partner in association with others. Partakers is not taking of something. Partakers is about being part of something. It's not I'm coming to get as a partaker. I'm coming, I'm being a part of something. In other words, it is not about what I get. It's about who I am with. Consider Yeshua. What was his view of metakos? How much of him did he commit to others? As you a partaker, are you a partaker or are you a partner? Are you dipping your hand into God's kingdom, hoping to extract a bit of bread and taste of wine for your needs? Is that what you're trying to do? Or are you immersed in partnership with holy brethren, filled to the brim with life together? That's what you, he's meaning by partakers here. Are you hanging around the door trying to get a glimpse of the party inside? Are you right in the thick of things, revealing or reveling in the joy of being together, sharing sorrows, victories with those chosen by God and those chosen to be adopted by Him into the kingdom? Amen. Who are you? What are your purpose? A partaker is an arm's length believer. A partner is a full-bodied, united follower. And that's what we want is full partnered people walking together as a unit because that's a force. This was what Echad is. Paulie and I have been talking about this coming together cohesively, all of us un in, in an understanding. That's why the enemy wants these divisions in the communities. He doesn't want them like this, Echad. He wants them divisive. He wants them uh, 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 fighting against one another. Because then you're not a partaker anymore. Wow. So this word partaker is metochos, a partner in a work or office. Hmm, is that what the priest is? Is he a partner in a work or office in the kingdom of Elohim? Hmm. So the Hebrew word, I trace this word back into Hebrew and it's the word chavar. And it's to be joined, coupled, in league with, have fellowship with, to unite, to tie a, a, a knot, a unified knot. Like, it's, like I pointed out in our portion today about let them join with Aaron. And in Ezekiel 37, let the two sticks be joined. We're to be joined together as this unified people. United for a purpose. <laughs> so, oh, Polly has her hand up. 
It would be interesting to see if that word joined is the same word used when it says that a man should be joined to his wife. Someone look it up. See if it's the, this word here. Or chabar. Either the Greek or the Hebrew. Yes. I was wondering if you could just touch on maybe quickly the significance of the 144 that we mentioned earlier and what that number. Um, where well, that... On to the 140,000. I'm sure our mathematician back here, Ward, could probably bring a lot of allusions to 144. Yes, Paul. Yeah, I just have some homework for Barry to mine out because Barry asked these kind of questions. And preliminary looking at the 12 different types of lights that would come from the stone. And if you look at the colors of the rainbow, there's three primary, then there's the secondary, and there's the tertiary, and it numbers 12. Could it be that the promise given at the rainbow would be fulfilled through God's people and that priesthood? I don't know, but Barry, I'm sure he will be able to do some homework and research <laughs> for us. May it be so. Okay. So continue on in verse 1. It says, my set-apart brothers, your partakers of the heavenly calling, closely consider the emissary and high priest of our confession. This word confession is also found in 2 Corinthians 9.13. It says, because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify Elohim for your obedience to your confession in the gospel of Messiah and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. The Greek word is this word here, which means for the obedience. So confession in Greek means for the obedience that you render to what you profess concerning the gospel. So it comes back to obedience. Our confession, you might as well say our obedience to what? To what he says. Yes, hand back in the back. Um, let's see. At Exodus 28, verse 2, it says, You shall make um, holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. And speaking about, like, um, what you're saying right now about obedience, it just reminds me in Jeremiah 13, where Yahuwah told um, Jeremiah to go buy a loincloth and then but don't put it in water, but go and bury it in the Euphrates River. And the reason why is to show, and it says, third, Jeremiah 13, 10, uh, this evil people refuse to hear my words who walk in the stubbornness of their heart and walk after other mighty ones who serve them and bow themselves to them, like this girdle, which is completely useless. So <laughs> we have, like, we cannot go out there and dirty our garments yep. as we're priests. That's right. We have to remember who we are. We're either set apart or we're not. And so God is bringing us together and refining us week after week, feast after feast, year after year. We're continually to be refined. Have all of us made it? No. But we're being refined in the process. And praise be to his name, this, that's our goal. We're, we're moving towards that, yes. I often think of these priestly garments as simply a symbolism of our character. What character we have is... Amen. When, when we dress... I haven't done this for a long time, I confess. But... Uh, <laughs> I used to think, okay, priestly garments. We're putting on priestly garments. How will they affect the people we're around? And I think that's really what the world has come to defile is our priestly garments. Uh, we've become so casual, as far as I'm concerned, in the way we dress, in the way we present ourselves. We're especially coming to Shabbat. We are coming to present ourselves to God. 
Exactly. And like you said, you wouldn't wear a bathing suit to present yourself to God. We are in a holy court here. Three o'clock, the, the courts, even in our civil law, even in our earthly law, open up at nine o'clock and they close at three o'clock. Amen. So even these cycles, I think it's so important to know how we present ourselves and to be open and open ourselves. And this guy's really good at that, to present himself as a friendly guy. And so oftentimes when we are with people or groups, they ask him to pray. Well, how do they know that? Yes. They're not around him. So just ask him. Yep. So. Amen. So can we just the priesthood? He's, he talks about how the, the, the people of the, the nation of Israel, they chose to do things their way and not the way God said to do it. So how serious should we take the dressing of the garment? Should we just... Something for you to consider. Yes. You wanted somebody to look up the... Uh, if it was the same word. Same word as join... Karav. Uh, yeah, it's uh, in Genesis 2.24, it's uh, to cleave is dabak, to clinging stick, stay close, cleave, keep close, stick to, so it's different. What's the Hebrew word? Dabak. Dabak, okay. Dabak. If anybody can look up the Hebrew or the Greek word too, that'd be awesome. Yes, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say exactly what he said, but also um, a couple of other things. The haver, you guys will know haverim. Yep. Same word. And then the one before that, when you had um, karav, mm -hmm. korban comes from that root as it well. It does, yes. Yes. It, to draw near. And then also what Leota said was um, what, how we were supposed to walk out. I believe God is. Amen. Yeah. So Amen. when we put on the armor of God. So do we just put what we want on? Oh, I can wear anything I want. I mean, I, I can come before him and act as a priest any old way I want. That's not the way God's kingdom works. Yes. The uh, word he was talking about is the same word used to cling to Yahweh or his word, hold fast to his word. Same word. So I want you to notice, too, about since we're talking about this uh, karav, so in your, when you read that Ezekiel 37 passage about join them together, two sticks are joined at that moment. But that isn't what it says. It says you're to draw them close to one another. And think about this. This is something that occurred to me a couple of years ago as I was studying this out. What is it that draws the two houses together? What's going to bring them closer together? Because the sticks aren't in his hand yet, whose hand are they in? It's in Ezekiel's. So my opinion, the prophet start drawing the two houses together. And they're going to come near one another. Come close to one another. This is what the Almighty says. The northern kingdom and southern kingdom are going to come close to one another. By his hand. All right? Uh, we had, did we have another hand up? I don't want to miss anybody before we move on. Yes, right here. And what you're just saying there reminds me of coming together. Uh, what you're saying there about <laughs> coming together, the two houses, they're not joined yet, but they're coming. They're together. coming. They're drawing right. near. This, most everyone knows about the Abraham Accord Thing that Mr. Trump was, President Trump was uh, part of in Benjamin Netanyahu. And uh, last night I saw a documentary on it, and it was really good because it showed all of the, um, everything that happened that we didn't get to see. The, mm. the people behind the scenes, David Freeman, who is the absolute genius of the Torah, and how they, all the instrument, 
all the things that we didn't see, even Kushner giving a tourist road to uh, Bahrain, I think, Bahrain. Um, there was just, I wish we could have, everybody could have seen that. It was, it was on TBN. And of course, most of us followed the Abraham Accord proceedings very carefully. But there was a whole lot of stuff we didn't know about and didn't see. Appreciate the Pompeo, <laughs> what's her wife's main name? Pompeo. Pompeo. Yes. He was on there a lot. Yeah. So, yeah. But that's part of that. In the way they, um, a lot of people thought, well, this is just a political stunt. No. It's about allowing a different way of communication between the peoples. And they have four solid nations, Arab nations, have come into the Abraham Accord. And the way they're talking to one another, um, David Freeman talked about the fact that they had to really rethink because in Israel, you have a document or a thought, and you have to take it through steps. Well, this one Arab nation, they didn't see that. You have an idea, and you just do it. So they had to learn how to communicate just those little fine things that we don't even know yeah. about. So anyway, thank you, Leo. join together. <laughs> okay, so for every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is Elohim. Now Moshe was faithful in all of his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. So let's look at some Hebrew words here. The Hebrew word for this obedience and confession is this word here. Nadavah, a free will offering. This noun represents sacrifice made out of devotion, thanksgiving offerings, and types of, we talked about this a week or two ago, peace offerings. The Shalemim symbolizes the reconciliation with Elohim that follows upon the atonement. As such, it celebrates a state of favor and blessedness arising from a proper relationship with Elohim, which will also bring about a proper relationship with the community. He prescribes and supervises the details of the entire proceeding, acting as host of the entire fellowship dinner, what Yeshua did with the apostles, that whole fellowship meal. Elohim is praised for restoring his inheritance by sending rain voluntarily. Involved in this confession is the idea that the covenant Elohim, Yahuwah, gave prosperity, but not because he was in a way bound to do so. The people had broken his covenant, yet he blessed them. The people are the willing offering. In, in Psalm 119, 108, it is prayer that constitutes such voluntary offerings. This unveils the persistent theme that Elohim desires heartfelt obedience, not just doing it because it's some list of requirements and something where you're completely disconnected from your heart. God wants your heart totally in it. And that's connected to the word karav, to draw near. You, you, you're drawing near to him because your heart wants to draw near. More than a multitude of sacrifices, he desires the heartfelt obedience. So it is a heart matter. Obedience from a devoted heart. So let's look at the rest of the verse then. Hebrews 3, 7, Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when, you, or when they provoked me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said they always go astray in their heart and they did not know my ways. Hmm. So notice knowing the ways and going stray in the heart is connected. So take care, brethren, that there not be any one of you with an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living Elohim. 
For who provoked him when they heard, had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Listen to this. Who was he angry with for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? To whom? It was to those who were disobedient. Now watch how disobedience is connected to unbelief. So that we see that there were, they were not able to enter because of unbelief, disobedience. Belief and obedience are connected just as disbelief and disobedience are connected. This is the key matter. But it has to be of a heartfelt desire, a heartfelt yearning to want to be connected and drawing near to him. This is what he wants. So we're going to look at the prophet portion in another life. So I mentioned to you that, let me see here if I have... Okay. Ezekiel 43.10 And you, son of man, show the house of Israel and, I'm sorry, you, son of man, show the house to the house of Israel. What house is he going to show them? This temple, this tabernacle, this dwelling place. But who's he showing it to? All 12? No. He's showing it to the house of Israel, the northern kingdom, the ten tribes. He's saying, go show the ten tribes the house. And they shall grow weary of their sins and its appearance and plan. The temple, the Hebrew has simply habayit, literally the house or the dwelling. Let them be ashamed. The Exquisite nature of the design will awaken in the viewers a sense of guilt that they had forfeited. So beautiful a structure, so beautiful a garments in their past sins, which brought about the temple's destruction. Because you are the priesthood, you have been removed from your post, and Abba wants to restore the priestly nation back to their post. And I say that because what happens here in Ezekiel? He tells Ezekiel, go to whom? We talked about it last week. Who's he sending him to? The house of Israel. But where's the house of Israel at? Hmm? First Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that you are a... The word you are is not there in Greek. Do you not know that a dwelling place of Elohim exists? And that the Spirit of Elohim dwells in you all? If anyone destroys the dwelling place of Elohim, Elohim shall destroy him. For the dwelling place of Elohim is set apart, which you all are. 1 Corinthians six nineteen. Or do you not know that you all, your body, is the dwelling place of the set apart Spirit, which is in you all together when you have which you have from Elohim, and you are not your own, plural. God's not talking to an individual by himself. Where two or more are gathered, there I am. When we come together at the Shabbat and the feast, this is what we're to be functioning as. This is when the Holy Spirit comes. This is when the miracles come. This is when God moves. When his set-apart people come and his nation is being restored in his people doing what he said to do. So, so don't be surprised when mighty things happen in our midst. Especially when we're on this holy day at a holy hour. Amongst the holy people. Being, being, being... <laughs> <laughs> shepherded by a whole team. My goodness, we should expect the mighty things, the, the awesome things, as the apostles saw. Ezekiel 43, 11 says, And they shall receive their punishment for all that they have done. This is what happened to our forefathers. And you shall describe the house and its exits and its substructure, and you shall make known to them all its ordinances. All its precepts, you shall describe it before them. This is the wayward people. Now think about it. What are you supposed to do? This is the, this is the prescribed direction for you and I to those who have not seen yet. 
He's going to the people who are still wavered, who haven't repented, who have not come to Torah yet. They're, they're exiled. They've been cast out. They're set apart. or they're, they're, They've been away. He tells them to show them the house. And I'll say to you, show them the garments they should be wearing. They're cast away and they're not wearing. Show them the holy thing, the garments. Be my testimony and go out and them what they are to be. You shall describe it to them, and they shall keep all my statutes, all my orders. They shall perform them. And the description of the house on the top of the mountain is all the holy of holies. And then I came to the exiles who lived by the river Bar at Tel Aviv. It isn't the Tel Aviv Israel. I had to research that. This is the Aviv is a city in Iraq. The northern this river in Iraq. And they're all there as exiles, the northern kingdom. And he says, I came there to them and I got there seven days. Remember that seven days is the prescribed time for where they were living, causing consternation among them. Here you see this word a mound in Babylon. Now, this is interesting. Tel Aviv in that language, Semitic language, means the mound of flood. What came to me? I thought, you got this whole word Abib wrong? Does Abib have a connection to flood? You have Genesis 18. Now, it came about in the 600th first year in first month, on the first of the month, the water was dried up from the earth. I'm asking a question of myself and you. When he told us this is the month of Abib to you, was this and what happened at the end of the flood when they were able to get off the boat and start anew the kingdom of then? Noah removed the covering of the ark, and he looked, and behold, the surface of the ground was up. Twelve. This is this month shall be the beginning to you. First month, it is the month of Abib. I'm question. I don't know the answer, but boy, there's an interesting connection that I'm going to further. How many of you know we've had things wrong? Quietly among them for seven days it was the customary mourning of the dead. Was Ezekiel mourning for those who were spiritually dead, the house of Israel? Very possible. Ezekiel or Elohim told Ezekiel, he said, Go and point out the sin. Now this is people say this is what I'm called to do. This whole make sure you understand what I'm going to read. This is what he told Ezekiel to do. If God tells you to do this one, but don't say, I'm taking up Ezekiel's mantle and going myself. Something that was told Ezekiel to do to a specific group of people. When I say to you, the wrong certainly died. You have not warned him, nor spoken to warn the wrong from his wrong way to save his life. That same wrong man shall die crookedness. But I require but if you have wrong, it does not turn from his wrong, nor from his wrong way, he shall die in his goodness, and you have delivered your own being. House of Israel to declare to them their God already told people that the people would not listen. So why should he bother to tell them God's message? One the people of Israel had been warned. Ezekiel's job was to obey. Go warn the house of Israel. Babylon. And he said to me, Son of man, receive into your heart all my words. Ralphie talked about that in the in-depth portion. The children of, notice he says, people he doesn't say my people 
because he's already kicked as Gary points out they've got the divorce they're no longer his people they've been broken and he's calling them your people and speak to them and say to them thus says master Yahuwah whether they hear or whether they refuse you're going to tell them anyway stiff neck his people go to the exiles to the sons of your people get you to the captives in Babylon to the children of your people two groups had already been brought to Babylon one in 606 to 605 BC Daniel taken in this group and another in 597 BC but before that before the, the, the southern kingdom the northern kingdom had been taken uh, what is this, a hundred and something years prior in 722. So God does not call them my people, but your people. He does not recognize them as his children, but as rebels. Oh, don't be in that spot. Don't be a rebel. Warn the rebels, but don't be a rebel. So while the house of Israel is in exile and separated, listen to this, you've got to get this, while the house of Israel was in America and separated and hadn't known his Torah yet, he sends a messenger to call them to return to holiness while in exile, while in Babylon. And you know what? A little voice is heard in Gary's ear. How long ago? 30 years ago, he hears a voice about returning while in exile. And since then, because that's probably one of the farthest backs that you can go, I mean, this, and since then, the messenger has been going to the house of Israel in exile and telling them the same thing to come back. What was significant about that father's heart song? It was, O Ephraim, return to me, Ephraim, come to me, my sons. Come to me, my prodigal son, return to me. I'll forgive you because I have a plan to restore you to your former glory. I have a plan to restore you to your priesthood. So the people in exile, they reject the message. Just like people are doing today. You've spoken to your family members. You've told them the message and they didn't want to hear it. But don't give up because he hasn't given up. In 720 years ago, or 2,700 years ago, he didn't give up on our ancestors, did he? He hasn't given up. So what do these visions mean of the living beings and the wheels? Primarily, they mean that God is present everywhere. No matter which direction the angelic faces look, no matter which direction the wheels may go, there. Yahweh's presence is real for his people, whether they live in Israel, Babylon, Egypt, Arizona. God is present with the exiles and he is present with Ezekiel because Elohim calls Ezekiel to be a prophet to the northern kingdom. He wants to restore the nation. It's split. But what will unite them? Verse 18, and to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to people who were disobedient and didn't believe. There's a key to restoring that and correcting it. So while the verse in Ezekiel are met with warnings and judgments, Ezra and Nehemiah are about the rebuilding and the restoration of the nation. Ezra and Nehemiah teach this. While Ezekiel is bringing warnings and judgment to the people to repent and return, I want to remind you what Ezra and Nehemiah says. Ezra and Nehemiah talk to us about how to rebuild the nation. How many of you are interested in rebuilding the nation that was destroyed and lost? And First and Second Chronicles teaches how to view the past. About the same time as Malachi, Yahweh began bringing Israelites back. But then in Ezra 7.10, we have an emphasis on rebuilding Israel's spiritual life. How many of you are excited about seeing the northern kingdom's spiritual life come to a revival? Ezra begins to teach the people to correct the sins that they have been committing and to enforce God's rulings. Isn't that what happened to you? 
You corrected the sins of your past and you repented and you said, everything that you said, I will do and I will obey. Remember, it says here in verse 18, it's those who are disobedient, they're not going to enter my rest. For Ezra had set his heart to study the Torah of Yahuwah and to do it and to teach his statutes and his rules in Israel. This is a summary of all good servants of Yahuwah, all good priests, they're to study the Torah and go and teach and be the light. Wear the garments and be the holy nation and go out and speak. You don't have to worry about who's coming. You've just got to go out and do. Ezekiel wasn't discouraged because they didn't all fall on their knee when he said it. He just did what God said to do. Don't get discouraged if he doesn't get it yet. Don't be discouraged whenever the world isn't seeing it yet. God's not done with you yet. He leads the people to rebuild Jerusalem's walls, to rebuild its population by encouraging people to live in harmony as a nation. The people are defenseless before their enemies, but soon the wall is rebuilt. The people are organized to guard their land, their city, and the people. We've got to guard this fellowship. There are wolves that want to come in. There are people that want to destroy it. The enemy is sending in people to try to crumble that which is being risen up as holy. In Nehemiah 8.13, we have the rebuilding of Israel's spiritual life. In chapter 8, Ezra and the priests read and explain the Torah while standing on specially built platforms. If you didn't know what that's called, it's called a bima. They're in the new temple area. Nehemiah has the people celebrate instead of mourn when they hear the teachings. So we have to wonder, will Israel ever live like a restored people? The books of Ezra and Nehemiah show us that though human failure is a constant in this fallen sinful world, God never quits. Your Elohim fulfills promises. He ain't gonna give up on you. What's yet to be done is he's just getting started on the rebuilding of his people and his nation. We have been called to rise up as a people, as a priestly nation, to be that light. Will you stand with me? He always sends his faithful servants like Ezra and Nehemiah to rebuild the religious life of the people, to rebuild the physical life of the people until such a time as the Messiah comes. Has your Mashiach come? Yes, he has. Nehemiah and Ezra work together to restore the people in the land. How shall they live in the land? In faithfulness to Elohim's word, in faithfulness to one another with hope in the future. I'll repeat that again. Faithfulness to one another. So Aaron takes away the iniquity of the holy things. Are you polluting the holy things? Or have you, have you polluted the holy things? It's a serious thing when we touch something holy. It's a serious thing when we touch something holy. I'll remind you of Hebrews 3.1 again. Therefore, my set-apart brothers partakers of the heavenly calling. Consider our high priest and your confession or obedience in Messiah Yahushua. And we'll close with this. The, uh, I remind you about this partakers. This is the important thing for us today to remind you of. You're the priesthood that's being risen up but you are to be joined together in a common goal and a common echadness in this kingdom. Don't let the little stuff cause you to break away. Don't let the little stuff cause you to say, well, I'm going to go for fellowship, so I can't fellowship with you because of this. No, that's what the enemy wants to try to break the fellowship up. If husbands and wives can work it together, if husbands and wives can come together when there's 
difference of opinion. <laughs> Believe me, there can be differences of opinion in a relationship. If that can happen there, and the enemy's trying to bust that up, it can happen in a community like this. And guess what? When that happens, as I saw in that worship here, that's just amazing worship. We become a light to other fellowships on how to work things out and how to go forward. This is what being the priesthood is. This is about being what you're called to be. Father, we thank you for this word today. We thank you for what you've shown us, that these garments in our Torah portion is about us. It's about what you're calling us to do today. It's about what you're rebuilding the nation to do. We have been called in three different places that we're going to be a kingdom of priests to you, to be that light to the nations. And I pray, Father, that as we become unified in our hearts to, to you and with each other, and we become partakers, joined together in this work that you have set our hands to, that when your perfect light hits us, what comes out of us is beautiful colors, what comes out of us to the world, it's just a glory and beauty of your glory and of your awesomeness that radiates to the world. We glorify you and praise you for this message today. May you be magnified and help us to be those that walk in this. In your son Yeshua's name we ask, amen. amen. Now we get to say Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Hey. Thank you all for coming. Go forward mightily, O ye priests of Israel. Thank you, everyone online. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat shalom.